Hi, this is Stephen Ambrose, Senior Pastor at Wapak Naz. I want to welcome you to the Wapak Naz podcast. We hope and pray that this message goes deep into your DNA, is encouraging, relevant to your life, a means for you to engage with God and experience His love, and moves you to impact your world. We at Wapak Naz believe firmly that you matter to God. We are glad that you are taking the risk to engage with Him today. Wapak Naz is love people loving people to Jesus, and it takes people to partner with us to be on mission and bring this message to our community, the region, and the world. If you would like to financially partner with Wapak Naz to love people to Jesus, join us by going to our website at wapaknaz.org and becoming a financial partner. We thank you, we pray for you, we love you, and enjoy the message. Uh, our conversation for this morning, this is the last week in our Dangerous Prayers um, sermon series. Next week, um, we're going to start a new series called Pulse um, that's all about your pulse, your spiritual pulse, um, telling, gauging how your relationship is with God and, and how do you gauge it and, and how do you get into a rhythm that is effective and beneficial and healthy um, and so that your pulse isn't all out of joint, right? Um, but for this week, we're, we're finishing up Dangerous Prayers and, and we've been on a pretty extensive journey, right? Um, if you've taken each prayer each week seriously and you've employed it into your own life, um, and you've said, how do I live this out? How do I begin to pray these dangerous prayers? Um, you've probably been challenged in some ways. God's probably caused you to be a little bit uncomfortable in some situations. Um, because that's what happens in these dangerous prayers. These dangerous prayers cause us to get out of our comfortable zones and into a place that we're very uncomfortable. Because growth happens in the uncomfortable. It doesn't happen where you're comfortable. It just doesn't. I wish it did because I love being comfortable. I love sitting on a nice, great, big, lazy boy, kicking my feet up and passing out, watching the game. I'm a dad, so I'm allowed to pass out watching TV, in case you didn't know. Um, I love that, but that's not where growth happens. Growth happens when you go out and you start doing work. You sweat, and your body aches, and you're sore the next morning because you strained your body that day before. That's when growth happens. And so these dangerous prayers are all about that. They're all about this growth. Um, and so we don't always, um, in our prayer times, I think, as I'm reflecting on these dangerous prayers, we don't always ask God to do the biggest thing we want him to do. Let me say it another way. Sometimes we temper our prayers so as to not allow ourselves to be disappointed if God doesn't answer the way we want him to answer. Right? Remember when you were a kid? Was there ever a toy that you really, really wanted, but you knew there's no way you were ever going to get that toy? So you, you kind of tempered what you were going to ask for for Christmas, and you asked for the thing that was kind of like, but not quite as good, because you knew you weren't going to get the big thing, and you didn't want to be disappointed, so you asked for the next best thing. We do that in our prayers. We do that. We, we say, that's too big, that's, you know, I, I, I can't ask for that, I can't ask for that new job, um, so I'm going to ask that I don't hate this job as much. Right? That's what we ask for, because we're afraid that God is going to not answer our prayers, or that he's going to answer them in a way that we don't want. But God wants us to ask the big prayers, the dangerous prayers, and these dangerous prayers are, are prayers that we have tried to find, and, and for our sermon series anyway, that we have found them in Scripture. These are things God wants us to ask for. He calls us to ask for. He, he 
requires, if we are to grow in him and to become made into his image, that we must be broken. That we must allow God to send us. And we should ask for it. And so these dangerous prayers are not just big, huge prayers that seem scary and dangerous, but they're also prayers that God has already said he's going to answer. But it means we're going to be uncomfortable. It means we're going to be put in situations we don't like. And so a few weeks ago, Stephen preached on Break Me. That was the, the title for that sermon. A few weeks ago, if you haven't heard it, you can go online to wapaknaz.org, um, and you can listen to the sermon on there or on Spotify, iTunes, wherever you get your podcasts. Um, Stephen preached on Break Me. And, and today, I'm going to preach on Break My Heart. Now, you might be saying that seems pretty similar. What's the difference between break me and break my heart, right? Because if I'm broken, my heart's probably broken. Um, break me kind of has this, this indication or this emphasis that, that God needs to do this, this tilling work in our own lives. It's kind of internal focused. It, it, it's, it's all about what we're dealing with on the inside. These walls that we've built up and these, these ideas that I can do it myself. I don't need help. I don't need God. I don't need the church. I don't need whatever. Um, but break my heart is more externally focused. Break my heart for something. It's about compassion. And we're going to dig into that here um, this morning. So a couple weeks ago, Chris and I were able to go on vacation, um, which was nice because we haven't been on a vacation in a while. Um, and like many of you, uh, this summer plans just weren't what they were planned to be, right? Things changed uh, over the course of those few months, and, but we were able to get away, and we went to St. Louis for our anniversary a couple weeks ago, and uh, we'd never been to St. Louis before. We, we were trying to decide where to go, and, and uh, we had talked about going to Chicago um, because our plan was to drop our boys off along the way so we could actually spend some, you know, time, just the two of us, um, without two little boys constantly pulling on our hair and um, stabbing us in the kidneys and stuff like that. Uh, and so we, uh, we dropped them off at, at my in-laws in, um, in Illinois, and we said, well, we could go to Chicago, and we've been to Chicago lots of times. We lived just south of there, so we're like, ah, let's go somewhere we haven't gone. So we said St. Louis, about a four-hour drive southwest uh, from where we were at. Not bad. So we went to St. Louis. And of course, if you go to St. Louis, you've got to go to the Arch. Now, the Arch wasn't open, and we had extra complications. The day before we were supposed to leave, Chris ended up falling in our yard, and had a severe sprain on her ankle. Um, so she wasn't very mobile. Um, and so we're, we're kind of scrambling to figure out the way we can do some of these things. And so we're, we're uh, traversing the streets of St. Louis at a very slow pace. Um, because she's on one of those little wheelie cart things. She's got her leg up, and she's kind of scooting along the way. And we're walking to the arch one day, and, and we were going to look at the arch, and then we also had already bought tickets, because you have to pre-buy everything now, right? So we pre-bought tickets for a certain time for their riverboat uh, tour um, along the river there. So we're walking along. We're, if you're looking at the picture on the screen, we're coming straight towards the camera, essentially. We're walking straight down that street um, towards the riverfront there. And, uh, and so we've got a time, and, and, and if you know me very well, you know I'm a very punctual person. And by punctual, I mean if you're not there 15 minutes early, you're late. Um, so I hate, I hate being on time. On time to me is late. I, I just can't do it. I, it ma makes my skin crawl. Even thinking about it, like, it's making me uncomfortable right now. Um, and so we're walking down the street, 
She's not moving very quickly, obviously, um, but we're, we're passing people along the way, and, and we'd made comments. This was our second day in St. Louis, and man, the people are just so nice here. Like, we were just having a lot of really pleasant interactions with folk. And, uh, and we're walking down the street, and we come across um, right up about my left-hand side. We're on the left side of the street, a little alcove over here. There's a homeless man, right? If you've ever been in the city, you know what that site looks like. It was nothing special. Um, cardboard box, he had a couple blankets, you know, sitting there with his sign, asking for some money, um, that sort of thing. And I felt pretty good about myself because as we're walking down this street, most people are doing the thing that, right, we, we're, we always do when we pass homeless people. Don't make eye contact, don't make eye contact, don't, don't acknowledge them, right? We do that. I do it. Um, and so I, I'll say that. But what we do when we do that is we dehumanize that person, don't we? We take away something from them. And so I felt really good about myself because as we walked up to him, I'm all chested out a little bit. And, hey, how you doing today? Right? I acknowledged him. I gave that man humanity. So I felt pretty good about myself. We kept walking down the way. We went on the riverboat cruise and came back. And we're walking back down the same street because we're going to where we parked our car. And we're walking now the opposite direction. And the, the alcove, you know, had the wall up against. So we couldn't quite see who was inside the alcove. But we're walking up down the street. And as we're kind of rounding the corner a little bit, we see somebody else sitting there. And I said, well, that's not the guy that was sitting there before, but he kind of had long, scraggly hair, and his clothes were not as bad, but they weren't nice either. So I was like, well, maybe this is just kind of one of the spots that, you know, the homeless people have kind of found in there, or, or maybe it's another homeless guy who came and sat down and talked to this guy. And as we round the corner, we find that, oh, this guy's actually sitting down there playing chess together. They've got a little board game in front of them, and they're, they're playing a game and spending this time together. And I thought, oh, that's neat. That's cool. And as we're surveying the scene, because once again, we're moving very slowly. Um, as I'm surveying the scene, I realize, well, it's not just this man that's with her or with him. Um, but there's also a woman and a baby and a stroller um, that's sitting here. And it caught me off guard, because I don't know that I've ever seen a family stop whatever they were doing. I don't, know, I don't know who these people were, where they were going, what they were doing in the city, if they lived there, if they're tourists, whatever. But I've never seen a family with a little child stop and spend an extended period of time with a homeless person on the side of a street in a city. I've never seen that. 30 years of my life. Maybe you've seen that. I've never seen it, so it caught me off guard. And I thought, man, my hey, how you doing? Wasn't that impressive, was it? Got me thinking, that man and his wife and their daughter didn't know any different, but she was being taught, whether she knew it or not, to live with compassion in an intentional way. Live with compassion in an intentional way. I thought, wow. Missed an opportunity there. thought, man, I could have could have done a lot more if my motivation to get someplace at the time I needed to be there wasn't getting in the way. And then they get me reflecting on my own life. Man, did I, did I miss God's voice there? Was God prompting me to do something more than what I did? Now you can sit and you can, you can get in your head and, and spiral into depression about these kind of things, just overanalyzing 
So there's not a point in overanalyzing, but the point is, I think, made that there's opportunities all around us. But where our heart is and where our mind is determines how we interact with those situations. My mind was on the boat. This man, his wife, their mind was on that person. Matthew chapter 9, verse 36. It's on your screen up there. It's one of my favorite verses in Scripture. He, in this passage, is Jesus, so you can replace he with Jesus in here. It says, when he, Jesus, saw the crowds, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dejected like sheep without a shepherd. Other translations say that the crowd was harassed and helpless. You get the point. The crowd was not in good shape. And when Jesus, as busy, as important, as tired as he was from doing all the ministry that he'd been doing, he saw the crowd and his interaction with them wasn't, oh no, not these people again. It wasn't, I can't do this anymore. It was compassion. Because he saw that they were distressed and dejected, harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. And so he said, I I will be that shepherd. Do you remember when you learned how to drive? For some of us, it was maybe a little bit longer ago than others. Jackie. Uh, (laughs) uh, But do you remember that when you were 16 years old and you finally got your license? Not your permit anymore. You got your license now. And you don't need an adult in the car. You can drive it. Now, you you probably had rules about where you could go and, and when you could take the car and when you couldn't. But at the same time, when you're sitting in there behind that wheel and you're 16 years old, keys are in the ignition, there's gas in the tank, you can take that car wherever you want to take it. Right? Anywhere you want to take it. As long as that gas tank has, has gas in it, you can keep going. And there's this, like, immense uh, freedom that you experience. This immense amount of, like, wow, I can, I can do whatever I want. Now, somewhere along the way, that excitement and that feeling of like, oh, man, I can roll the windows down or I can turn the radio on to whatever I want to turn it on to, it starts to fade away a little bit, right? Um, Like me, I I truly enjoy driving. I love to drive my car still to this day. I don't mind long road trips at all. Um, Some folk don't like it at all. Um, So it it wears off at some point, though, that, lack of a better term, that new car feel wears off, right? Um, And it's not as exciting as it once was. But for a time, it was exciting. And it was cool, and it was unique. But I remember when I was 16 years old, and I was learning to drive. Uh, See, I'm a big nerd, so me and my friends were also usually nerds. And so one of the things we like to talk about, does that surprise anybody? Uh, But one of the things we like to talk about, we we got in, like, philosophical, ethical conversations about, like, driving. Like, what does it mean to drive and to be a follower of Jesus? Right? How do we— present the gospel by how we are behind the wheel. And so we had all kinds of conversations about, like, following the speed limit. Put in, you know, the Jesus fish bumper sticker on the back of your car. 
um, cutting people off of traffic, how many fingers you're supposed to hold up when you wave at somebody. <laughs> More than one. More than one. Uh, two is fine. Less than that, no go. Um, so we got in these conversations about driving and, and the ethics behind driving. And, and uh, I remember being challenged one day, and that Matthew verse came to mind of Jesus seeing the crowd that was harassed and helpless. And then I also thought, thought excuse me, I also thought about uh, this passage here in 2 Corinthians 10.5. It says, We demolish arguments and every proud thing that is raised up against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive to obey Christ. Take every thought captive to obey Christ. And so I said, now is this just talking about my negative thoughts? Like, does this mean, like, the things that I think that are bad, I need to, like, repent from those and, and fix and I, I think it's about more than that. It says take every thought captive, right? It's not just take your negative thoughts captive. It's, it's every thought in every moment of every situation. And so I thought, what would that look like to truly have every moment, every thought captive to Christ? And so we began to challenge each other, me and my friends, and iron sharpens iron, right? So you need these, these things in your life, these people who will challenge you and, and call you out to make you better. And so we, excuse me, we challenged each other and we said, here's what we're going to do. Every time you're driving your car and you get stopped at a stoplight, pray. Every stoplight, pray. Doesn't matter if it was red as you roll up to it and it's about to turn green because you see that the crosswalk's about to change from three to two to one. It's going to change here in a second. I'm not going to pray right now because it's only going to be a couple seconds. No. Every red light, pray. Every single one. It could be a short prayer. It could be a long prayer. But take that moment captive. Rather than being in that passive mindset here again, I don't like being late, so that mindset of if I'm already running behind and I'm stopped at a stoplight, I'm stressing out, I'm anxious, I'm frustrated because now I'm four cars back and that car's taking too long to get going, so I'm going to get hit with the red light again before I get through the light, right? Anybody else feel this way when they drive? Or am I crazy? Um, oh, well. So we said, every stoplight, pray. Every time you hit a red light, pray. And we didn't say what you need to pray about, just, just pray. Just talk to God. And so I began to pray, probably the most dangerous prayer, well, maybe not the most dangerous, one of the most dangerous prayers I've ever prayed in my life. And it was dangerous because I knew God was going to answer it, because I knew it's what he wanted, but it was going to make life difficult for me. And so I asked God to let me see those people that were crossing that intersection, that were sitting across the way, that were sitting next to me, see those people like he sees them. And I remember the first time I prayed that, I was at a, a four-way stop. Uh, I don't remember what the street was called because I was 16, so I didn't pay attention to street names. Uh, there's a Papa John's Pizza over here. There's a gas station over here. Four-way intersection, two lanes every, every which way, right? Two lanes over this way, two lanes this way. And I prayed this prayer. I said, God, give me your eyes to see these people the way that you see them. And it was almost instantaneous. I just began to weep. And when I say weep, I mean weep. I don't mean my eyes got a little watery. I don't mean I kind of cried a little bit. Like, no, like that sobbing. Like that uncontrollable, like hyperventilating, 
you know, snot running down my face, eyes watering nonstop, just sobbing. I didn't know any of those people. But I knew that God knew them in a way that I could never know them. And God's love for them, he, I, I'm just convinced that God gave me just a small fraction of his love and his compassion for those people. And I began to pray for their souls. Whether they were believers already or not, I began to pray that their eyes be open to the reality of God, that, that God be manifested in their lives, that um, Jesus be not only Savior, but also Lord of their life. That he be the one that directs their steps. I cried, and I cried, and I cried, and light turned green, and now I've got to go. And uh, every time I hit that intersection, especially, especially that intersection, this was when I lived in Georgia, um, there was just something different about that moment. That ground became holy ground for me. That intersection was sacred land. Because I encountered God in a way that I hadn't encountered God before. And it altered my life from that f point forward. It altered me. It changed me. Because now I, I, I couldn't just ignore what I knew to be true about the way God sees people. Even when it wasn't always that emotionally heavy. Right? If you've experienced things like that before, you know that in that moment— when you experience an emotionally heavy time that you can still feel about that in some kind of way later, but it doesn't always have to be that same emotional heaviness. Does that make sense? Like, you still understand, though, because you've experienced it now. Um, and so that compassion and that humanity is all about this call to break my heart. I believe that it was God's grace that allowed me to experience that that day. But I also believe it was God's grace that uh, held back in the fullness of that compassion. Like, I don't think he gave me all of his compassion. Because if I, think, I think if he gave me all of his compassion and all of his love, I would have truly been overwhelmed. Like, I would not have been getting out of that car. Um, and I would have just crumbled there and probably had a psychotic break. Um, because my mind couldn't deal with that. It, very literally. I, I don't mean that in a pejorative or in a joking sense. Like, very literally, like, my mind could not hold and manifest that. It's God's grace that allows us to not experience the world with all the emotion that he experiences. Because we couldn't take it. It would overwhelm us. But we need dosages of that. We need a little taste of God's compassion and his love from time to time. We need to call on it. We need to ask for it. And we need to be crumbled by it a little bit sometimes. We need our hearts to be broken for other people. I prayed about it in our prayer time. And it's no surprise to anybody in this room that there is division, the likes I've never seen in my life in this country, over political ideology. I remember, I remember Bush and Gore, and I remember Bush and Kerry, 
and I remember McCain and Obama, and I remember uh, Romney and Obama, and I remember hearing tales of Bill Clinton. I was alive for it, but I didn't really, I wasn't following that kind of stuff. I wasn't connected to that. Um, I remember things my parents would say or the stuff I would eavesdrop on, the conversations that adults were having, right, about politics and the world and, and the troubles. And I've never felt so displaced as I've felt the last couple months. And I'm convinced that if you're feeling that displacement, that is a good thing. Because what's happening in your heart and your mind is that who you serve in the kingdom of God, that Jesus is king, is coming at odds with the savior mentality of our political leanings. Because it doesn't matter which side you come to. Both sides think that they're going to save us, and the other side's going to destroy us. Now, we can have a conversation about that. That's not what this time is about. I'm not here to tell you who to vote for, because quite frankly, I don't care. I really don't. I care that you love people. I think that's all Jesus cares about, quite frankly. And I know we have different opinions and feelings about this issue and that issue, and, and this issue is something that Jesus would care about, and this issue is one that he, he would be against. Okay, great, I get it. But what does Jesus say the greatest commandment is? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. What's our mission statement at Wapak Nats? Love people loving people to Jesus. Nothing political. No ideology, no leanings. Because of that. Because of broken hearts. Hearts that are filled with compassion for other people who don't look like you, don't think like you, don't vote like you, who you have nothing in common with other than that you were made by the same creator. That the same God of the universe who spoke all of this into existence knitted you and knitted them together in your mother's wombs, respectively. I think we have to pray for broken hearts. Specifically, our broken hearts. That we stop looking at people as enemies and we start looking at people as image bearers. Doesn't mean you can't disagree. Doesn't mean you can't have a healthy conversation. But it does mean that at the end of the day, you give them respect, you give them dignity, you give them worth, because it's not yours to take away. God gave it to them. You're just supposed to acknowledge it. We're wrapping up here um, the next couple minutes. But we pray dangerous prayers so that our lives may look like Jesus' life. 
And we know that Jesus went through trials and difficulties, that Jesus' life was anything but easy, and that is why we pray dangerous prayers, so that we can live life like Jesus lived life. Difficult, painful, troubling, sacrificially, and that as a result of our lives living that way, as Romans 12 says, as a living sacrifice, that God would be glorified. I want to read one more scripture for us out of Romans 9. That I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart, for I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the benefit of my brothers and sisters, my own flesh and blood. They are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory and the covenants, the giving of the law, the temple service, and the promises. The ancestors are theirs, and from them, by physical descent, uh, came to Christ, who is God over all, praised forever. Amen. It's Romans chapter 9, 2 through 5. The beginning of that passage, it jumps into the middle of a sentence there, because Verses and chapters are sometimes weird where they put them in the scriptures. Because you know it wasn't written that way, right? It was written as a narrative, and then we've inserted numbers and letters in there to break it up so that we can find things easier. But Paul is, is historically thought to be the author of Romans, and he was writing this letter, and, and that's where it opens up here, that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. He's pained. He has a broken heart. He's hurting for his people who don't acknowledge God. And he goes to the point of saying, for I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the benefit of my brothers and sisters. That, that if only I could get them to believe and to follow, man, it'd be worth it for me to, to receive nothing of God's goodness. If only I could get them to follow. He was so brokenhearted for his brothers and his sisters that he was willing to give up in his heart his own connection to Jesus for the sake that they might be connected to Jesus. That's pretty radical. That's pretty crazy. Now we know Paul and his other writings, as he digs into his theology, he, he wouldn't believe that that could actually happen, that, that Christ wouldn't cut him off just because he wanted to receive his brothers and sisters. But nonetheless, that's the feeling of his heart. He was so brokenhearted for them. If you and I do not feel this way about our brothers and sisters, we have to ask the question, is God ruling in our hearts? If we're not more concerned whether or not that person loves Jesus, then voted for this guy or that guy. Who's ruling in your heart? We need to ask God to break our hearts, allowing us to see the Imago Dei, God's image present in creation and every person, and that God's deepest desire is to have each person joined with him in perfect redemption one day. I could go on and on about other stories in Scripture. 
but you don't need that. Other places where God's people are called for have a broken heart and show compassion. What we need to do is we need to live it out. We need to enact it in our lives. And maybe, maybe, I don't know, someone in this room is feeling like they are harboring something against someone or against a group of someone's. Doesn't mean you have to go from saying they're wrong to they're right. That's not what this is about. But if your heart's leaning towards them is destruction instead of may Christ rule in them, maybe it's time to ask God to break your heart for some compassion, for some grace, for some love, for some forgiveness, for some mercy, because God has shown all of that to you, to me. So let's just go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Father God, in very simple terms, I ask that you break my heart and that you break our hearts for you today, for your kingdom, for your rule. God, may we not miss the reality of the kingdom of God for the glimmers of salvation that the world would try to offer us. While the world says if you only come here and if you only say yes and if you only pick this person and if you only align with these ideas things will be great and things will be wonderful. God, I ask that we not be dissuaded by that, that our focus stays on you in all of our interactions, in all of our places of life, that the first thing we ask for when we come with anger or hatred or frustration or ill will or malice, that God, first we ask that you break our hearts. That we not be the offensive ones. Because we refuse to reflect your creation. And we refuse to acknowledge your image in other people. So God, break our hearts today. And may we follow you with every ounce of our being. For it's in Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. And one more blessing for you as you dismiss today. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he cause his grace and his compassion to fall, fall on you and fill you up. And may you follow him in every place you go. You are dismissed. Thank you for listening to the Wapaknas podcast. We hope you are moved deeply to step into God and the hope and future he has for you and that you are moved to be salt, light, and yeast in your community and to love people to Jesus.